All right, guys, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 2. If you remember the last couple of weeks, we have been on a journey towards Christmas where we celebrate the arrival of Jesus, eternally God becoming man. That we, that's what we celebrate. That's why uh, we have uh, the manger scene. Um, and today we're continuing on with the theme of joy. Right. So we talked about the first week, God's love for us. And that we see that even while we were sinners, not deserving of his love, God chose to love us. It's easy to love somebody that's lovable. Right? It's easy to love somebody that's worthy of our affection. But God doesn't do that. We see the greatness of his love in the fact that he loves us even though we are undeserving. And then we see the length of that love by the greatness of the gift, his son Jesus. And so we looked at John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And then last week we talked about how you and I can have peace with God. I think it's very important for us to understand on our own we don't have peace with God. If you're depending on your own works and your own actions to be okay before God, you're in a world of hurt for eternity. And yet we see that the good news that the angels celebrate was that now there, are, there is an opportunity for peace on earth through the work of Christ. And so Jesus is our peace with God. We talked about this wall of hostility that stands that separates you and I from God and how Jesus busted down that wall so you can I enjoy fellowship with God. And so that ultimately leads to what we talk about today, joy. Joy. And so I want us to start out with just a little survey. I want you to think of this in your head. Don't share it out loud. On a scale of 1 to 10, what rating do you give yourself with joy right now? Right now, it's 1 to 10. I imagine in this room we have ratings all over the scale. Hopefully nobody is in here with a 1. This is the worst day of my life. I can't believe that I'm here. Don't want to be here. Rather be anywhere but here. That would be a 1. But I wonder if we also have very few 10s. There's no other place I'd rather be than worshiping with the people of God and the presence of God. And so somewhere the rating is on the scale. What is your rating? And then think of the three to five main sources of that joy. The three to five sources of that joy. What is fueling your life with joy right now? Or what is lacking so you don't have joy? What are those sources? Think about three to, to five things. Um, I was talking with our uh, special ed teachers this week. Um, unfortunately, they're stuck by me, and so I, they get the uh, sermon questions and the survey questions. And I asked two of the, the teachers that uh, don't go to church, don't believe in Jesus. I just asked them, if you had to sum up Christmas with one word, one characteristic, what word would that be? And both of them said joy. I thought, man, that's interesting. Why would you say it's joy? He said, well, you know, the season, uh, it's the holiday, it's, it's jolly, you have family coming in, you're opening up presents, right? And so they're fueling the joy that fuels them's family, getting together, eating together with friends and family. And there's joy in that, but it doesn't last. Presents, there's joy in that. But it doesn't last. And then Coach Nevels comes in. Coach Nevels uh, loves Jesus, is a believer uh, in Christ. His dad is a pastor, and so he knows the church answers. I asked him the same question. One word to summarize Christmas. What's the theme? He goes, love. <laughs> I go, oh, yeah, that's true. Absolutely love. What else? Family. That's absolute family. Get together. Right. What else? And then he's like, 
Jesus? Right? He's giving the church answers. And the funny thing is, I asked the girls the same question. I'm like, hey, what do you guys think Christmas is all about? Jesus is the answer. And this is, this is why we got the, uh, the gifts up here. All they are are the promises God's given us. But what happens is during Christmas, guess what happens? We open up tangible gifts. They're in our hands. Right? And we experience the joy that a present gives us. If it's a gift card, you open that up, you can experience the joy by going to the restaurant or the place to use the gift card. If, if you get a toy, you can experience the joy by playing with the toy. If you get clothes for Christmas, you experience the joy by wearing new clothes or new shoes for Christmas. But the problem is that joy doesn't last. And then we get to something where the joy does last, but it's not real to us. And so the reasons why we got the three things up here wrapped is I want this to be every time you open up a gift or you see somebody opening up a gift this year, remember that there is a greater joy that's given to you and to me in Christ. And it's a joy you cannot touch, can't be taken from you. It's a joy that is impossible to be taken from you. And here's the, here's the thing. I know with the people in this room, there are things going on in your lives. There's things going on in my lives. And it robs us of joy. Could be a health issue, could be a family issue, could be a relationship issue, and, and the list goes on. Right? Sometimes Christmas isn't a very joyful time for a lot of people for different reasons. But I'm talking about a joy that can't be touched, and I think... What I would be thinking, when, when I heard a message on joy, it made me aggravated because the pastor was saying, hey, all you need is a song on your heart. I'm like, what are you talking about? A song, and he talked to you, know, just a happy song. Don't worry, be happy. That junk doesn't work. When your daughter's sick and you don't know if she's going to make it, a happy song does me no good. But God with me does me a lot of good. And so I want us today to make sure our hope is anchored in God. It would be easier for me to walk into Fort Knox and to take a 27 and a half pound block of gold than it would be for somebody or something to take the joy that I have given to me through Christ. I just want to, to go through Fort Knox. Some of you guys don't know this is Fort Knox. It's down in Radcliffe, Kentucky. Um, this is the gold vault. And you can see it's, it's a barrier within a barrier within a barrier system. So if you're serious, there's $270 billion worth of gold in the depository, but you can't even see it. It's underground. Levels underground. The Magna Carta, Declaration of Independence, the Constitution is all in the gold vault. All you have to do, scale this fence with barbed wire. That's the easy part. The next fence with barbed wire is also filled with electricity. If you touch it, you're dying. Not a very fun thing, right? So if you can jump 10 feet up and over, you got a shot. But then you go to the next barrier, which is another wall filled with concrete. Oh, and by the way, there's guys with machine guns on every corner. Up top, you have the watchtowers. They have any type of weapon that they need to their disposal. The door, front door, 22 tons. That's how much it weighs. They're testing. They're doing different things. There's a four-foot granite wall made up of steel and concrete, and it's fireproof. 
They said it would withstand a direct hit from an atom bomb. Right? I don't know how they test that stuff. I trust it. I don't think I'm going to knock and they're going to open the door for me. Right? And then they said the depository, every square inch is monitored by surveillance. That's watched by numerous people 24-7. There is no, oh, the guards are getting up to go get a cup of coffee. Nobody's watching. Let's go get it. It's not like that. This is impossible to get into and take a block of gold. But you and I have a better chance of getting into this building and taking a block of gold out and walking home than those in Christ have of losing their joy. Because it's not based on our circumstances. If it's based on our circumstances, we have no hope to keep our joy. It's based on a God who is eternal and big enough to keep his promises. And when Jesus says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, there is joy that is untouchable. That's the type of joy I want us to experience. That's the type of joy that changes lives. So that's what we're going to talk a little bit about this morning. Let's pray, and then we'll dig into Luke and Matthew. All right? Father, thank you for gathering us together this morning. Father, I pray with, with everybody in the room, Father, we're coming at this at different angles. For some of us, you're far off. They don't know you, that you're the God of joy. But I pray that they do after today. I pray that you open up hearts and open up minds. Father, I pray for those that have been walking with you for a long time. But the chaos and the busyness of life and circumstances are growing. I pray that you show us how to fight for joy together. And so, Lord, I pray that you move with an account we've heard many times. I pray that you open up our eyes so that we can see it with fresh eyes and a fresh heart. I pray that you change us. I pray that joy is a characteristic that we live for the rest of our lives and into eternity. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Uh, Donovan, I believe you're up. All right. No pressure. Remember, the reason why... We have our main points wrapped in presence is this is a real thing. Jesus was a real baby that was born to a real woman in a real place in a real city in a real time. And so the first thing that we want to look at today is that our joy is found in a person. Our joy is found in a person. This is the first time Donovan's opened up a present. <laughs> This is also why I couldn't get volunteers for people to open up a present. Nobody wants to be up. Donovan, thank you. That's what I meant to say. Thank you. In Matthew 2, verse 10, we're seeing the, uh, the wise men see the star, and their response is they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. A person led them to rejoice. And so I just want you to follow along. Uh, there's a few verses here and they're jumping. If you're taking notes, write it down. If you have your phone, put these verses in your phone. These are vital to your joy. Our joy is found in a person and his name is Jesus. In Psalm 1611, it is a verse all of us should have in our hearts and on our minds. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now why is this important? The presence of God is an unshakable anchor for joy. Everything else we put our anchor in and depend on for joy leaves. But in the presence of God there is fullness of joy. Example A. Our opening game. We play Gallatin County. 
We celebrate. You had some guy on your shoulders, right? Hit a game-winning shot. The team is celebrating. Last night, was it a time of joy? No. No. We were down by 30 at one point. There was no rejoicing on our sideline, right? The joy is gone. Married people, there's this thing called the honeymoon phase. I got to be careful. My wife is in the building. There's a honeymoon phase. Some say it's a couple weeks. Some say it's a couple years. Whatever it is, there's a time where the spouse can do no wrong. But it doesn't last. It's a joy that fades. Now, let me put this caveat in. Marriage is a huge blessing and a huge sanctification tool. This is what I mean. Julianne helps me grow to be more and more like Jesus because she's able to see my blind spots. I'm able to see hers. And so there's a joy in that, but it's hard work. So the honeymoon phase does not last. It's a joy that leaves. Toys. I promise you we got the girls something for Christmas last year. Couldn't tell you one thing that it was. I'm not sure they remember. Why? Doesn't last. And so when you see this, you'll either believe it or not. Now, here's the scary part. If you believe it, you'll experience a joy that never fades. It'll last. If you don't, you'll continually be seeking but never finding. So if you're depending on a job or a person or money or ability or a test score for your joy, it will not last. Jesus does. In his presence is the fullness of joy. We'll keep reading. So in Matthew 1, 23, the angel comes and talks to Mary. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I love this. When we couldn't get to God, God comes to us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. And then in Matthew 2, 1 and 2, it says, Now after this, uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So these guys in a faraway land, very bright dudes, saw a star and said, We got to go see this guy. We got to go see this guy. We got to go see this guy. And they're traveling with really expensive gifts. And check out what happens when they come to Jesus in Matthew 2, 10 and 11. It says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Their joy was to the max. Why? Because they found God. It says, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening up their treasures, they offered to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's a lot of value that they're giving to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is more valuable than their treasures. They found a joy that surpasses these little treasures, these little joys. My prayer is that I will continually do that in my life and that you will continually do that in your life. Because Satan will distract you with small joys thinking they're infinite, eternal joys. And they're not. And they'll blind you from God in whose presence we have the fullness of joy. So when we're doing that rating scale, wherever your rating fell, what did you say your sources of joy were? This is why this is so important, because it's easy to forget. Let Jesus 
be our source of joy. The wise men came, traveled all those miles, putting down gold, frankincense, and myrrh because they found something more valuable. Their joy was in something eternal. Philippians uh, 4 verse 4 says this. It's uh, Paul talking to the church. He's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Do you guys know where Paul was writing that letter from? From jail. And he's calling people to be joyful. Paul was a guy that showed us how you can't touch someone's joy. If anyone had an excuse to be grumpy, it was this guy. Beaten, thrown in jail, shipwrecked, left at sea for a night and a day. And all he's doing is following Jesus. And yet he's telling the church, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Why? Because Jesus never left him. He went through the storms with him. And the saying that was true for Paul will be true for you and true for me. Let your joy be found in a person. And then number two, Tosh Campbell, you are up. Number two, our joy is fueled through a promise. Our joy is fueled through a promise. All right. So if you remember, Mary was given a promise and then she rejoices. That's what I'm talking about, Tosh. Mary and Luke chapter one. Angel shows up, says, you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And as his kingdom, he will know no end. Right? That's a lot of promises coming. That's a big promise. And so Mary thinks, like, kingdom will know no end. He'll be the Son of God. Like, Mary's blown away by this. And then we see her response. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary hasn't given birth yet. And she's rejoicing. Why? Because her joy is found in a promise. And then we get to the shepherds. Shepherds are found in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Shepherds were not important people. And yet this good news of great joy comes to all people. That's why God shows up to some shepherds. He sends a message through these angels. And listen to what they say in verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That is a promise. That is a promise. And then you read on down. The shepherds get to where Jesus was born and they share with Mary what the angels told them. And check out verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for, they all, for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They're rejoicing at a promise. And the promise is salvation is available. A Savior has been born. Joy comes through clinging to promises. Think about good news that you've received. Good news that you received. Good news always leads to joy. So for us with our three girls, um, finding out that we had healthy baby girls, that's great news leading to great joy. When I got a ring and proposed to Julianne and she said yes, great news leading to great joy. 
When you go to the doctor and you find out that you're healthy, it comes back negative. That's good news that leads to great joy. When you try out for a team, when you take a test and it goes well, good news to great joy. And now here we have the greatest news and what you see is it leads to the greatest joy. The angels couldn't even describe it. Exceedingly great news. I, they can't emphasize this enough. I think it's interesting here when you come to this spot, when you know our situation, we're separated from God. And this is where it overlaps a little bit with peace. But you understand you could enjoy the presence of God because of what Christ has done for us. There is no amount that this world has to offer compared to that joy. And it's a promise. Now, you and I, if you know Christ, are saved, right? If you put your faith in Christ, you ask Jesus to forgive you, you and I are saved. And yet, I'm still one day either going to stop breathing or Jesus is going to return and I'll meet him in the air. And so there's a future promise that I'm holding on to that brings me joy. So no matter if the health reports come back bad for me, you can't touch my joy because I know how this thing ends because I've been given a promise from a God who does not break his promises. So I'll, I'll, I'll try to put it this way. Think about how much money you would need to be satisfied. Right? Come up with every amount that you need. If you're going to college, think about how much college costs. If you've been to college, think about how much you owe. If you want a house, if you got a house, if you owe on a house, think how much, add that up. If you want a car, go crazy. Get a nice F-150, 2003 white would be ideal. <laughs> think outside the box. All right, so I want this car. For me, I picture weddings and three weddings. I'm thinking, oh, oh buddy. I might have to go get that block of gold from the gold vault. Um, but you add it up and then you get this number, right? So whatever that number is, I'll write it down and I'll give you a check. Right? Whatever that number is, I'll write it down. Sean, what would that number be ballpark for you? For However many you need. Whatever I want. For whatever you want. So you'll be satisfied. I'm talking about a couple hundred million probably. A couple hundred million. <laughs> All right. Let's go over here. Uh, Tracy, how much would it take for you to be satisfied? <laughs> all right so it seems like a couple hundred million is all it takes to keep a couple people happy well great good news i'll write a check all right i write a check a couple hundred million we'll go 500 million for sean 500 million for tracy right i give you that check there would be joy at receiving that check right like oh man i'm set then you get to your bank Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> that thing bounces quickly. All of a sudden, joy's gone. Why? Because I can't deliver on that. Now, and this is why we're doing something as childish, as silly as opening these things up. We do have a promise that's better than a blank check and more important. And 60 years for me, it's not going to matter if I have a blank check or not. It will matter if God can keep his promise of salvation. And I'll be able to enjoy that forever. So do you have that promise? Are you trusting God for your salvation? Do you see how that can't be touched? Right, because in this world, things are going to go bad. 
We know that. But we have a promise. God works for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. I'm going to hold on to those promises because that's what's fueling my joy. All right, so I'm going to close with this one. Not only who's up for the third. Oh, Cortez, come on down. The third gift Cortez is going to get. <laughs> Not only is our joy found in a person and fueled by a promise, but finally it's fought for by a people. Fought for by a people. When we think of joy, we don't think of fighting. But did you know you and I have the responsibility of helping each other fight for joy? It was good news of great joy to all people. So we have an obligation to tell people about the person in whom is the source of all joy. The God of joys has come near. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. He's given us a promise. A Savior has been born. Not only do we know that He's been born, we know that He lived a perfect life. That He died on the cross. That He didn't stay buried. He rose on the third day. He ascends to the Father and He's coming back. Now that's some good news. And so we have to fight for joy. And this, th this comes up from a couple of, I guess it's been about a month and a half ago, just with me. Right? So I'm, I was trying to juggle. I moved from security to into the classroom, which was a, a good move. Um, I, I like to teach. I like to make a difference uh, in the life. I don't have to take cell phones anymore. Um, and so it's, it's, a, it's a good move. But the problem is I don't have a master's degree in teaching. Right? I got a master's degree in sociology, which is great, um, except you have to use that degree for something which is hard for sociology. So I went back for education while well, I'm doing that at night. So I'm going on Monday and Wednesday's uh, night class, and I'm trying to coach. As a matter of fact, I don't think my professor will listen to the sermon. Um, on Monday night, I had a lecture in a basketball game, and so at halftime, I turned the lecture on, put it in my pocket, Thankfully, it stayed muted, made it through the whole class while trying to coach basketball, right? And so I'm juggling these things. and I'm trying to figure out how can I do this well and leading a church and, and being in the classroom and helping out students, writing their individual educational plans and trying to track their progress. And so I'm doing all of these things. And all of a sudden, I notice, man, I'm grumpy. I don't want to be at school. I want to sleep in. I want to get some rest. I want to get away from people. Don't want to be bothered by anybody. And then I started thinking, oh, man, is, is Jesus really my joy? Right? Because right now, there's a lot of circumstances determining my joy. And here's the good news. I had some guys that are honest with me. And then I started thinking, you know, if Jesus can't be my joy in this situation, what good is it? What good is it? And what I found to be true, circumstances didn't change, but my focus did. I went back to the basics. Jesus is my joy. And then I have a promise. And I focused on that, like, God, you're working something out here. I don't know what's going on. It's slow progress. I hate going back to school. I said I'd never go back to school, and now I'm back in school. But I found Jesus to be my joy in the chaos of life. And I had to have some people help me fight for that joy. And so just a couple of things. There's 10 things here, and we're going to go through these very, very quickly. Ten things for you and I to help each other fight for joy. Number one, realize that true joy is a gift from God. This is something God does. This is a grace of God. Right? This is what we celebrate at Christmas. This is a gift from God that you and I can have joy with Him forever. Gift from God. Number two, realize that joy must be fought for relentlessly. 
because you're constantly going to be bombarded by Satan to be distracted by little things. Whether it's health or relationships or illness, whatever it is, you have to fight relentlessly for your joy. You have to determine to kill and confess and turn from all no sin in your life. Right now, this, with the group of people, this is the awesome part. Young, old, in school, out of school. We have all sorts of issues we're dealing with. But I promise you this. What sin does for one person, it does for every person. It will rob you of your joy. You cannot be satisfied in the presence of God, fullness of joy, while running away from God and rebelling in what the Bible calls sin. Now listen, I don't know what type of sins in our lives. It could be pride, it could be greed, it could be lust, it could be selfishness, it could be your language, it could be your thoughts. All of us need to be fighting, confessing, and leaving sin so joy can flow from God to us. So I'll, I'll use this example, it's a little bit gross. Um, our sink gets stopped up, right? Hair, as, as the girls brush their hair, long, beautiful hair, gets in the sink, stops up, and you know what? It gets slow, the water goes, still goes down, doesn't bother me as much. But when you brush your teeth and you have a sink full of water and you need a spit, you're like, ah, this is going to be nasty. Somebody's going to have to put their hand down and turn it. It's going to be nasty. So it got to that point yesterday morning. I get up and I start fixing. And you know the, the saying, uh, you need to know your limitations? I was flirting with those yesterday trying to do plumbing. All right, so I start loosening the pipe, loosen the pipe, take it out, get the hair out good, put it back on, turn the water on. It doesn't work. There's more hair there. Right, so I get that out, and sure enough, use a kitchen knife, which isn't the proper plumbing tool, but you don't know which one it is. So if you ever come to our house, don't use our knives. Use it, got it out, threw it away, put the pipe back together, awesome news. Water didn't stop up in the sink anymore. Bad news, it was getting all over the floor, right? So, oh, what did I do? I almost had to call some people who knew something about plumbing. So I take things back apart, like, what is going on? Finally find out which one I need to tighten, which one I need to... Oh, the stopper is important. Okay, put that in, fix it, and it runs. You talk about joy. There was some joy in that. It started to run, no water. Now, as long as it doesn't break anytime soon, I'm happy, right? We got the clogs out, water could flow. What that hair and junk does for a sink, sin will do for your joy. It is impossible to experience the joy that God has for you living in sin. And so one reason why I want to pursue God through his word and flee from sin is it's a joy thing. You cannot find joy away from God. You'll find uh, some happiness for a moment. Adam and Eve, when they were biting into the fruit, it tasted good. And then they're kicked out of the garden. You cannot live in sin and say it's not a big deal. It will keep you from the joy God has for you. So all of us, all of us in the room, fighting sin, confessing it, and turning from it. And it's not a one-time thing. It's an all-the-time thing. Confess it, turn from it, get it out so joy can flow from God to us. Number four, understand that the battle for joy is primarily a fight to see God. If Satan can get you busy, he'll get you busy. If he can get you down, he'll get you down. If he can distract you, he'll distract you. It is primarily a fight to see God. If he can keep you far from God, your joy will not be there. So fight to see God. How do you do that? Number five, get into the Word. you got to know the Bible. We have tons of Bibles sitting back there, but it does no good sitting on the table. What I used to do growing up in church is I'd make sure I take the Bible to church because I got credit for that in the class, Sunday school class. And so you want to get the prize, right? If there's a sucker on the line, I'm bringing my Bible. 
But then after church, I go in and I put my Bible in the car because I don't want to forget it for next Sunday. Right? That misses the whole point. We have the Word of God. We can experience the presence of God through His Word. On a day. You can talk to God daily through prayer and through His Word. So get into the Word. Pray. Ask for God for joy. Fill you with joy, even when you don't feel like it. When's the last time you prayed for someone else's joy? Something we need to be doing as a family. Find people who love Jesus and fight together for joy. Um, in high school, we had a group, and, and we had a unique high school group, right? We, we had different talents, different, but nothing brought us together except Jesus. And we wanted to follow him together. This was my senior year in high school. And we go through these questions. Have you been in the word? What are you memorizing? Uh, what are you dealing with sin-wise? Are you confessing? Are you turning from it? And then we got to question number nine. And they go, have you, robbed any, have you let anyone or anything rob you of your joy? Like those are good questions to ask. And what happens is when things or people start robbing you of your joy, it's a little indicator that those things or people are becoming idols in your life. And you're saying, you know what, this person or this thing is not bigger than the God whose joy I'm supposed to be experiencing. And man, we call each other out on that. You want to know what that helped with? It helped us with joy our senior year. And so I want you to find people like that. How cool would it be, Mirity, how cool would it be if you come in on a Sunday and you had the opportunity to ask Rick Watson, hey Rick, what's going on at work? What's going on at life? Is there anything robbing you of your joy? Think about if we had the freedom to do that. What happens if Jake Beer comes in and asks you, hey man, I know the game didn't go the way you wanted to, but how's your joy? Like, think about, how, see how the openness and the, like, you got to get into each other's lives with that. That's pretty tough, isn't it? If we're serious about joy, we'll do that. If we're serious about joy, we'll hold each other accountable for this. And then the other three are, are kind of just, they're side notes. It's not the main source. One is take care of your body, eat well, sleep, uh, exercise. Um, the next one is take joy in God's creation. I love this. Enjoy what God created. The sunsets, good food, good friends, family, mountains, oceans. Go out and enjoy what God created and then give thanks to Him. And then the last thing, and a couple of people got together and said, you know what, what's the whole purpose of life? Why are you here? And they came up with this statement. Live for the glory of God and enjoy Him forever. That's a pretty simple slogan, isn't it? Live for His glory and enjoy Him forever. That's a good place to live. And so what's the purpose of your life? Do you live ultimately to bring God glory and enjoy Him forever. When you live for God in His glory, you will experience a life of joy. And I'll close with this illustration. Um, I, I, I did this exercising thing that I started to think, I don't exercise too much anymore. So I started running. Second day running. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a habit yet. I got to get into it. Second day running was yesterday. My legs are numb. I'm running around the neighborhood and the cemetery's open. If you guys go down Madison Avenue, you see that huge cemetery. Um, and cemeteries are great places to run because there's nobody looking that will see you, uh, that you know. And I don't want people to stop and say, hey, man, are you okay? Because, right, I look like I'm dying when I'm running. I don't want people to be that concerned with me, right? So cemeteries are private. Um, it's quiet. Nobody's going to hit me in a cemetery for the most part. And so I go in there, I start running, and, and then God laid on my heart this vision um, and from Ezekiel. You remember Ezekiel? He sees this valley of dry bones. You go into the cemetery, it's a huge cemetery, and it's just tombstone after tombstone after tombstone after tombstone. And I'm looking out, and I'm, I'm looking, and I'm thinking, 
this is a desperate situation. And I start thinking, spiritually speaking, we are surrounded by spiritually dead people. And God asks Ezekiel a question, can these bones live? And Ezekiel's like, uh, God, you know. God, you know. God, you know. And God comes back and, and listen, uh, he sees it and listen to what he says. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open up your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do this, declares the Lord. Now, I want to, to explain this right here. I'm not talking about a zombie apocalypse. What this passage is talking is God will bring people who are spiritually dead, spiritually far away from God to God through Christ. And dead people can live because Jesus has resurrecting power. And you want to know how joy will break out throughout this city? When God's people are enjoying his presence every day of their lives. When they're clinging to the promises that God has given, and when a people are fighting for joy together, that will transform this city. And so as I'm going by and I'm seeing tombstone after tombstone, I can't help but look at our neighborhoods and think, one day what we're going to see are dead people coming to life and experiencing the joy that God has for them, because that's the God He is. And so today, this is what I want us to do. If you're here and this, this seems like a fairy tale, you're like, ah, joy and joy, like, that doesn't mean anything to me. I'm asking you to ask God to do what only he does. Ask God to fill you with joy and not the superficial joy, but the joy that comes from his presence. If you've never believed in Jesus for salvation, let that be the fuel for your joy. You can do that today. If you're here and, and you never struggle together with people, pushing people to have joy in Jesus, commit to do that today. Whatever it is, let us grow together in this thing called joy and watch what happens to our city. When people experience the joy of Christ, it's contagious. That's what our prayer is for Covington. It's what my prayer is for you guys. It's my prayer for my family. It's my prayer for me. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus. Father, everyone who comes into contact with him experiences the fullness of joy. So, Lord, I pray for the people in this room. And I know there's people in here that feel far from you. But, Lord, you draw people to yourself. And so I pray that they see for the first time how glorious Jesus is. I pray that they experience the joy that is found only in your presence. Father, I also know that a lot of people in this room are going through a lot of things. And so I pray that they dig into the word, that they hold onto the promises, that they have that joy that's unshakable. And then as a family, Lord, I pray that we grow in this discipline of fighting for our joy, that we point each other back to Christ, that we hold each other up in prayer, that we rejoice with one another as we walk with you. And then, Father, I pray that joy breaks out in the city as salvation flows. These bones can live, and you're a God who does that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.